Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, good morning, y'all. My na- morning. <laughs> My name is Don Jankowski. You're probably used to seeing me right back there. They won't let me preach from back there because I'd probably be more comfortable. But, uh, but I'm also on the teaching team here at Mosaic, and it is a great honor to be here in front of you this morning. I want to start by telling you something else you might not know about me. I am a really good driver. You don't have to laugh. <laughs> but, but the way I respond when there's somebody in front of me in the left lane on 94 and they're going slowly might suggest otherwise. I mean, Nick will tell you that he's supposedly the better driver out of the two of us, but if you want to go somewhere fast, you go with Don. In fact, anytime I drive him to the airport, he sends his family this image of Cruella DeVille. This image of Cruella. It's a really great picture. There you go. That's the one. That's one every single time. Every single time. But he sends the gift so that the eyeballs are spinning, right? It's kind of frighteningly accurate. But, but it's because these other drivers, right? You know, don't any of them know how to drive? I'm so quick to lose my cool on them. You do know it's okay to drive the speed limit, right? Are you waiting for a different shade of green? You can't, I bet you can't color inside the lines because you sure can't drive inside of them. (laughs) You know, I drive like the other drivers on the road because they don't drive the way I would, are the enemy. But it's not just on the road where I've had to deal with people who don't, uh, don't act or think, drive, believe like I do. There are people who really have been out to get me, and not just in the left lane. There are people who really have been my enemies. Several years ago, there was a person who actively tried to destroy my reputation. This person spread lies about me in an online forum, set up an occasion for complete strangers to cyberbully me. This person tried to harass me directly on social media. This person hacked into a mutual acquaintance's email and sent us both messages full of raging curse words and accusations. And for the grand finale, this person actually called a place where I worked and tried to get me fired based on lies that they told about me. Now, if that doesn't describe the poster child for an enemy, I don't know what does. You've probably got some areas in your life where where you too find it really difficult to play nice in the sandbox with people who don't act or think or believe the same way you do. I mean, come on. Anybody's blood pressure go, go up when somebody not from Wisconsin goes, nah, I don't really like cheese curds and beer. <laughs> Teens, what about when somebody is ragging on a band that you like or they start 
saying not very nice things about the person that you have a secret crush on? How about when somebody says that their grandkids are the cutest and the most talented in the world and you know that yours are? Or when somebody calls your dog ugly when you know he's cute? Husband. <laughs> well, what about all y'all Packer fans out there when you see a Bears fan? Yeah, I see you. I see you. Those aren't even serious examples, unless you're a Bears fan. And they already probably have your blood boiling a little bit this morning. But I'd hazard a guess that if you thought for a minute or two, maybe less, you could come up with an enemy or five that you've faced in your lifetime. A person you might consider an enemy isn't even always somebody that you know or interact with directly. It could be someone you've seen make a comment on social media. Take a few of these topics that, uh, that are known to create instant enemies. Politics, right? Sexuality, religion, racial inequality, gun control, abortion, vaccines climate change, immigration. Those are controversial and divisive topics, and no matter which side you fall on for any of those topics, chances are you believe that you are absolutely, positively on the right side. And if I pointed to any one of you, you could give me a long and immediate laundry list of why you are correct. And if you are on the right side, that means that anyone who thinks differently than you do, even though they have their own long and legitimate list of why they believe what they believe, they're automatically wrong, aren't they? They become, by default, your enemy. Well, guess what? Here's some good news. You are not the first group of people to feel that way. What a relief, right? <laughs> as far back as Moses, God's people have received the command to love their neighbors. But by the time Jesus walked the earth, teachers of the day were adding an opposite misapplication to that. If you were commanded to love your neighbor, you must also have an equal obligation to hate your enemy. According to biblical scholars, these teachers considered all the uncircumcised, basically anyone not Jewish, as not their neighbor, and therefore their enemies. Which meant they did not owe these people any sort of love. Did you catch that? They didn't owe them love. They were not obligated to love these people. And you know what? There are days... I could get on board with that. <laughs> Being released from the obligation to love those who disagree with me, who vote for someone different than I do, who are terrible drivers just out there to get in my way and ruin my commute, who actively campaign online to ruin my reputation, I would be okay with not having to love them. Because you know what? It's hard to love them. And more than that, I just don't want to. I wish I could tell you the sermon ended right there. 
Hey, back in Jesus' day, religious teachers said you didn't have to love anyone who wasn't your neighbor. In fact, anyone not your neighbor was automatically your enemy. So I don't have to love people who disagree with me. Woo, that's great. That's great. Let's go to lunch. <laughs> Unfortunately, if you've been here or been tuning in online for the last couple weeks, you know that Jesus had a particular tendency to take the beliefs of the day and turn them on their head, especially in his famous Sermon on the Mount. So today we're going to look at a specifically irksome portion of his sermon found in Matthew 5, 38 through 48. And as you turn there in your Bibles or locate it on your Bible app, I want to set the stage a little bit for the audience of the time. At this time, Judea was under Roman military occupation. You guessed it, uncircumcised, not Jewish, definitely enemy material. Under Roman law, the soldiers could compel the Jews to do any number of things, and they did not like it. I mean, who would? The Romans were definitely not their neighbors, so of course, they wouldn't have considered it a necessity to show them any sort of love. But let's see what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 38 through 48. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand them over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, so that's a lot to unpack in just 10 verses. As with many of his other illustrations and teachings in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins by taking a concept or belief that his audience is already familiar with something that will get them to first nod their heads. Yep, we've heard the law from Moses' day that says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Yep, we got that. What does that sound like to you? To me, it sure sounds like revenge or, you know, getting even. You did this to me, so I'm going to do it right back to you. This original law was handed down in Exodus in chapter 21, verses 23 through 25, regarding the consequences of causing personal injury. Here's what the law says in Exodus. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. The same law is repeated again in Leviticus 24, 19 through 20, and Deuteronomy 19, 21. This was a legitimate law. 
but it was originally intended to express a commitment to justice and ensure that a penalty for wrongdoing was not arbitrary or more severe than the crime dictated. Over time, however, the religious leaders shifted this law out of a principle to limit retribution into something that became instead an obligation in personal relationships. Go get your pound of flesh when somebody does you dirty. And now Jesus is telling his audience something completely different. Do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Wait, what? How many times have you heard the phrase, just turn the other cheek, when you complain about how somebody has wronged you? We've turned it into this nice Christianese phrase. But in his sermon, Jesus is talking actually about being walloped across the face as part of an insult and not a physical attack. Notice how he specifies that if somebody hits you on the right cheek, right? How many of you in here are right-handed? Right? Okay. This is, this is important. I want you to remember this. Remember that you're right-handed. This is intentional. If a first century, or to a first century Jew, if a right-handed person hits another person's right cheek, the only way to physically do that, and I won't actually hit you, would be to backhand them, not just a slap. And that backhanding, thank you for being my example, <laughs> was considerably more insulting than just being slapped. He's touching on this deep cultural attack. He's not saying that if somebody hits you upside the head with a baseball bat on the right side of your face, that you should turn and cheerfully invite them to smack you on the left side as well. Okay? <laughs> He's touching on personal relationships and how we should respond when we are personally insulted. We're instructed not to seek retribution. After all, an eye for an eye just creates a lot of one-eyed people driving in circles on 294. <laughs> I, I do want to pause and make something abundantly clear here. This statement is not saying that you should allow yourself to be abused. I want to say that one more time. Jesus is not saying that you should allow yourself to be abused. If you are sitting here today, or you're listening online, and you are in an abusive situation, I want you to come talk to Pastor Nick or Jason, or any of the leaders here at Mosaic. You are not required by biblical or any other law to stay in an abusive situation. And our leaders will gladly get you the help that you need. So another thing that Jesus highlights here is that if somebody forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Okay, I know Pastor Jason is a runner, right? <laughs> and he, and so is Jess. 
He talks about going on his nice 13-mile runs outdoors for fun. I can only just go two miles on a treadmill with a 0% incline in an air-conditioned gym at an impressively slow 11-minute and 45-second mile pace. Y'all, I run like a turtle stampeding through peanut butter. <laughs> if Jason wanted me to run a mile with him at his pace, I guarantee you that I would not want to go that second mile. Just, like, lay me out on the side of the road and pick me up on your way home. Or, better yet, call me an Uber. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Remember how the, the, uh, the Jews of Jesus' day were under Roman occupation? Military law stated that any Roman soldier had the right to command a Jew to carry his pack for up to one mile. This was basically a display of public control over the Jews, and they fiercely resented this. Not only would they end up hot and sweaty and dirty from walking a mile completely out of their way, but their whole schedule for the day was thrown off, and they still had to walk back that same mile to where they'd been when the soldier intercepted them. Instead of resisting or being resentful, though, Jesus is instead showing how to turn an attempt to manipulate us into a free choice to love by willingly going that second mile. He's calling us to resist the powerful, the ones we may see as enemies, not by fighting back or demanding our pound of flesh, but by rejecting the premise of the power they yield. And Jesus sums this all up nicely in verse 43 and 44. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Can you imagine at this point how the crowd feels? Is your heart rate spiking a little? When you hear this, Jesus, you want me to what? You want me to love that person? For real, come on, you can't really mean that person. Sorry to break it to you, he does mean that person. Jesus understands how narrow our love can be, how exclusive. Check out what he says in verses 46 and 47. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Jesus gets that it's easier to love the people who look like us, think like us, believe like us, drive like us, cheer for the same sports teams as us. I mean, don't we all find it easier to get along with people who align with us? I know I do. So if y'all find a red-headed Bears fan musician wandering around, you point them my direction, okay? <laughs> but isn't that kind of the point? Loving the people who are just like us is so easy that everybody does it. By loving the people just like themselves, the Jews were absolutely no different than the tax collectors of the day. 
You want to talk about enemies? Tax collectors were like public enemy number one. They were Jews who were working for the Romans, remember, the enemy, and they regularly cheated their own people for their own gain. The last thing Jesus' audience wants is to be lumped in with the likes of those guys. Nor would they want to be lumped in with pagans or non-Jews. Remember, this audience has grown up hearing and believing that they were supposed to love their neighbors and hate their enemies. And enemies were defined as anyone who was not a circumcised Jew. So now the question is, why? Why was Jesus' audience supposed to not resist an evil person, to turn the other cheek, give the shirt off their back, go the extra mile, and ultimately love those people they really didn't want to love? Let's look back at verse 44 in the first half of 45. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. That's the New International Version. The New Living Translation says it this way. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Did you catch that? Why does Jesus call us to love everyone as our neighbor, not just the people who act and think and look like us? It's so that we can be identified as true children of God and have our actions form a more comprehensive and accurate picture of God. God is, of course, the judge of all things, and yes, he has a special relationship with his people who are learning to act and be like him. But God also does good to all of those under his care even if not all of them recognize the good as God. We see that in the second half of verse 45, which says God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God is gracious and compassionate to all of humanity. And if we are going to claim to be his children, if we are committed to be disciples who take on his characteristics, then we too must be gracious and compassionate. As Christians, we should be known for our radical love for people, for all people. So what does it mean to love everyone as our neighbor, not just the people who act and think like us? What does it mean to love the person you consider your enemy? The heart of that question might instead be, what does it mean to love? Period. God's love is active. It's tenacious. It's daily. And it's lavished on everyone of every color and every belief, right, left, and right down the middle. Loving everyone as our neighbor doesn't mean we have to go out every day intending to turn people who don't like us into our best friends. And it's also not about putting ourselves in harm's way. What it is about 
is recognizing that those around us are also human beings made in God's image, in need of and deserving of God's love. That Jesus died for them at the same time and in the same way that he died for us so that we could all be children of God. And that the way others can recognize us as God's children is in how we love the people who are different from us. It's, it's still not easy, though. We can't just grit our teeth and say, I love this person, and hope that that does it. <laughs> That's not sincere. It's not really love. It's checking a box without changing your heart. The good news is that you don't have to do it alone. The next time you are confronted with an enemy, whether it's someone on social media who is going off for the 212th time about politics, or it's walking into a place where you know you're going to encounter somebody who is actively against you, pause for a moment before you interact with that person and say this simple prayer. God, please love this person through me. Just as simple as that. God, love this person through me because I cannot love them on my own. When you open yourself up to let God's love flow through you to all people, You'll find yourself carried along in that love and learning through his work in you to love as he loves, as he is loving through you. God, please love this person through me. When we love as God loves, we love more completely, more perfectly, and display a life integrated to the will of God, reflecting his character and our identity as his children. At the end of the day, this passage from the Sermon on the Mount really isn't so much about our enemies or our persecutors as it is about us. Jesus speaking to us about what we do and how we love. We need to see the full humanity and worthiness of others even when they refuse to see it in us. Following Jesus is about cultivating the heart of God in our own hearts, loving everyone as our neighbor, everyone, not just the people who act and think like us. So today, we ask God to love through us, to love all people through us, when we love our enemies like Christ loves them, that love is a distinguishing mark of our faith, displaying our identity as followers of Christ. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.